Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Welcome to the worship podcast for Grace Episcopal Church in Newton Corner for Sunday, April 17th, 2022, Easter Sunday. I'm Regina Walton, pastor and rector of Grace Church. Thanks for listening. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Oh, Grace Church, it's so good to be back in here. Wow, what a day. Alleluia, Alleluia. And you know, um, some of you know that my, the dad, my dad's side of the family is Ukrainian, and I know. I know three Ukrainian words, um, but they're totally relevant for today because it's how you say um, Christ is risen, the Lord is risen indeed in Ukrainian. So let's do that in honor of um, the brave Ukrainian people. Um, Let's learn that. So Christ is risen in Ukrainian is Christos Voskres. And then the response, he is risen indeed, is Voisnu Voskres. All right, so I'll do it. Christos Voskres, you say. Excellent. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Ah, we are in person. We are inside. We are in this beloved holy place to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And a hearty welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time visiting with us and also to those of you watching on the live stream. There was a lot to do to get ready for this day and uh, one of the tasks was to change the hymn boards which had been frozen in time for two years stuck on Lent 2 from 2020 and our music director Chris Hosfeld finally got out his little ladder and changed those hymn boards, and I think they look a lot better this way. Uh, So great to do that. In these last two years of displacement and dislocation and disorientation, we have been thinking about the question, what is the church? What is it to be the church? We knew before that the church is the people, not the building or we thought we knew that. Uh, Now we really, really know that. Uh, And also we have a new appreciation for our building because it turns out as human beings, it's really hard to gather uh, when your building is not fully accessible to you. One of my favorite Episcopal scholars, the Reverend Dr. John Westerhoff, recently passed away at the age of 88. And Dr. Westerhoff had, I think, the best working definition of the church, what the church is that I've come across. He wrote, the church is a pilgrim community of memory and vision. We have certainly felt like a pilgrim community these past two years, and what a long, strange trip it has been. We've learned you can be pilgrims even on your own property. We've traveled all around 76 Eldridge. We've ventured online. We've had Christmas Eve out in the driveway. We had another last Easter was on the front lawn. Since last summer, uh, we've met in our large hall for worship uh, due to the tower restoration. 
And now, with the okay of our structural engineer, we're back here in the sanctuary. But that doesn't mean that our travels are done. We are a pilgrim community, and so we've got to keep moving. We've got to keep growing and changing and seeking after the living Christ. And that's how it's been from the very beginning of the Jesus movement. Jesus and his disciples were a pilgrim community of memory and vision, too, itinerant, traveling from town to town so Jesus could teach and heal, searching the scriptures and seeking for signs of God's coming kingdom all around them. And this is what we see in our Easter gospel from Luke. Luke describes the women who come to the tomb as those who have come with Jesus from Galilee. They had followed him from place to place, providing for him out of their resources. Luke names Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and says that there were others with them. These women have been on pilgrimage with Jesus during the last several years of his ministry. And unlike the disciples who fled at Jesus' arrest, these women courageously stood at the foot of the cross, bearing witness to his agony and to his passion. They have observed the Passover, They've waited patiently until the first moment, early dawn, when they could return to the tomb and anoint Jesus' body. Surely they thought that this was their last stop on their pilgrimage with their teacher and Lord. How much hope they had had at the beginning and how much sorrow and grief they had now. Surely this was the end of the road and these were the last ministrations that they would ever offer to him. But the stone is rolled away, and the tomb is empty, and suddenly there are these two men in dazzling clothes with them, and these heavenly messengers tell them, this is not the end of the story. This is not your final destination. You have a whole new journey ahead of you, following Jesus in a new way, becoming a new community in his name. And the angels ask their famous question, Why do you look for the living among the dead? I wonder how this question was first received with its triumphant knowing tone by these anguished women who are distraught, who are exhausted and devastated, who are disoriented and confused and afraid. Why do you look for the living among the dead? I do think that in their question, The angels are not chiding the women, but affirming their faithfulness. You've followed Jesus all the way, they're saying. And what you've learned from him in those years should tell you now that this tomb is not his resting place. Why do you look for the living among the dead is another way of saying you already have all the knowledge and the information that you need to find Jesus again. And the men say, remember, Remember what he told you. Remember how he told you that this was going to happen and that on the third day he would break the bonds of death. The church is a pilgrim community of memory and vision. We hold fast to memory, the biblical witness, our church history, and our own communal story, not out of nostalgia, but because this memory guides us into our future. The church's memory is a navigational tool. It's meant to guide us forward, not to keep us fixed in place.
The angel's question is a question for us as well. We are called to be an Easter people in a Good Friday world. I don't need to convince you that it's a Good Friday world. You can read the paper for yourself and you can look into your own heart. Each one of us has stories from the last two years of isolation, of loneliness and anxiety, of separation and loss. Some of us have stories of calamity and crisis. Many of us have stories of deep grief and mourning from the road that we have walked the last two years. But through the waters of baptism, we've taken our share in Christ's cross, and so we can also claim his resurrection. Our calling is to bring this Easter hope, this Easter energy and movement into the broken places of this world. This is the vision of the prophet Isaiah prophesying about the new world that God is creating, and we have a part to play in this recreation. Why do you look for the living among the dead? This is also a question for us individually and as a community. Why do you look for sources of life in places of death? Why do you seek renewal, restoration, salvation in what is not life-giving? Unfortunately, in times of stress and difficulty, this is often what human beings tend to do. There have been many reports in the news of the huge rise of alcohol use disorder during the pandemic, with excessive drinking rising by 21%. Why do you look for the living among the dead? It's the same story with many other so-called coping strategies. Any behavior that we use to numb ourselves or to isolate ourselves, whether that's alcohol or drugs, endless scrolling online, buying all kinds of things that we don't need, or treating others unkindly. Overwork is another popular choice, as is its twin overcommitment. The pastor, Carrie Newhoff, writes, full schedules don't lead to full lives. That feels a little scandalous to say in the western suburbs of Boston, but there it is. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for renewal, rest, restoration from things that can't love you back and things that can't save you? In the Christian church, we have only one Savior. And that makes some questions very simple to answer. Is this thing, person, relationship, accomplishment, project going to save me? Is it going to rescue me and make me whole? Is it going to restore balance to my life, take away my pain, make me worthy? If it's not Jesus, the answer is no. I think a lot of us can relate to the prayer of the man in the Gospel of Mark who desperately entreated Jesus to heal his son. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I think that's one of the best prayers in the Bible. We can pray that prayer when we ask God for awareness of when we are putting our hopes in that which cannot save us, rather than in the one who can. We can say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me instead to put my trust in you. The good news of Easter is that the salvation project has already been accomplished. 
Our job is to keep reaching out to God in faith and trust, to recognize that we are already beloved children of God, and to reach out to others with that same love. We are already beloved children of God. Take that into the place in your heart that has not yet fully accepted that. You are already a beloved child of God. Why do you look for the living among the dead? This is a question for our communal life at Grace Church as well. This is a profound moment of reorientation for us. We're not the same people as we were two years ago. And so we're not going to be the same exact church. We're back here in our sanctuary, but we are still on pilgrimage. In community, looking for the living among the dead often takes a different form than it does for individuals. In congregations, organizations, institutions, the dead is often that which was once alive, useful, good, helpful, but which has now run its course and is so no longer. I have a friend from Maine who has an expression for this. Whenever a piece of fruit or something goes bad, he says that it has gone by. The banana wasn't rotten, it had gone by. It had crossed over from being ripe to being banana bread material to then being only destined for the compost. It had gone by. And I've, I've always thought that was such a lovely and non-judgmental way of saying that. Why do we look for the living among what has gone by? Why do we look for new energy and renewal from that whose time has passed? In the church, we only say forever and ever amen about God. Not about anything that we do or about any person in any particular role. Only God is unchanging and the rest of us are in flux. And so our job at Grace Church is to ask, where are the signs of the living Christ in our midst? Where is the living Christ in our community right now and in all the communities in which we live? And which of our practices and patterns and ways of relating to each other have gone by and need to be respectfully retired in order to make room for new signs of life? We're called to be an Easter people in a Good Friday world, and so we should also ask, who are the Easter people in our lives? Who are our models and mentors in living out Easter joy, Easter hope, Easter renewal? And how can we spend more time with those people? Who are the Easter people in your life? The people who encourage you, lift your spirits, help you see things in a new way? who seem to magically have time and space to reach out to others and be present to them in a positive and loving way, even with everything going on in their own lives. God bless those folks. How much we've needed them, how much we've relied on them over the last two years. How can we join them in their loving work of encouragement and uplift? Easter people have what the Holocaust survivor and psychologist Viktor Frankl called tragic optimism. Tragic optimism is the search for meaning among the tragedies of our human experience, not pushing away suffering or numbing ourselves to it, but working 
loving, rising above, and choosing to grow through the inevitable suffering we experience with God's help. I think of the stories that I've read of so many citizens of of Kyiv, Ukraine, who have chosen to stay in their city to care for others. The baker who with his employees has chosen to give all their bread away to those in the city who are hungry. The children's surgeon who has stayed at his post in the hospital. The volunteer chefs who are just ordinary people who are cooking and serving thousands and thousands of meals a day outdoors, feeding soldiers and civilians. The nuns who are praying with people as they shelter in the subway stations. That's what it is to be an Easter people in a Good Friday world. And we too can live out our own callings with God's help. But only if we let go of what's no longer serving us, and only if we stop looking for salvation in the wrong places. The women thought that they had reached a dead end. They were wrong. Their journey was just beginning. Their Lord was ahead of them. He had been raised. Luke, the evangelist, has a nice dose of realism in his version of the Easter story, too. The faithful women go back to the 11 remaining disciples to tell them about the empty tomb and what the angels have said, and the male disciples don't believe them. But these words seem to them an idle tale, the scriptures say. I think that this is an important part of the Easter story. When we as individuals or as a community make a firm decision to seek the living among the living, and we do that, We should not expect a parade. Expect resistance to that. It's hard work following the leadings of the Spirit. It's costly to go against the grain of a Good Friday world. It requires a thick skin and sort of a tough kind of faith to trust in God rather than to trust in ourselves, to stay the course of this gospel pilgrimage. Resistance, disbelief, and challenge are part of the Easter story, too. But in the end, the women were right, and all of the disciples who saw the risen Christ in their midst when he appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and later in the upper room, the women were right. Christ was raised from the dead, and he did appear to them. We are a pilgrim community of memory and vision. We are an Easter people in a Good Friday world. We are at the beginning of a new stage in our journey together. And God has shown us so much grace this far, grace upon grace. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.